All right, so I don't know if any of you guys have seen The Chosen. They, uh, it's a movie about Jesus, and it was a, I think it was like the biggest, biggest or the fastest crowdfunded movie ever on Kickstarter or something. And I'm not saying you have to watch it, but they're, uh, I was getting ready for this sermon, and we went to watch it in the movie theater, and they played the scene that I'm going to talk about today. And it was like, oh, this is all like fresh in my head. But we took Isaac, our 23-year-old, he went with us, and I, the movie's getting ready to start. I'm like, did you, like, have you been watching this? He's like, oh, I haven't kept up with this at all. I don't know what's going on. I said, well, you read the book, though, right? He says, yeah, I read the book, so it's cool. So they're telling Bible stories. They're acting it out because you've got to take some liberties to, you know, you can't just act out Scripture as it is. And it's been really fun to watch them act it out and then be like, did that really happen that way? Like, for real, did they make that up? And yeah, that's usually the conversation in the car afterwards. Was that, is that in the Bible? And then, of course, we do some Googling, and we do some Bible concordance searching, and we find this or that verse, and you're like, you know, it could have happened that way. Like, that could have really been a legit portrayal of how that happened. But, you know how I always say one of the best ways to do Bible study is just read it, and then just think about what was, okay, if that really happened, and it did, what was that like? Like, what really went on? And to really think about that event. And so, we're talking about people that interacted with Jesus, and what that looked like, and what happened. And sometimes, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the synoptic gospels, because they talk about some of the same events, event by event. Luke is the only one that says, I want to put it all in order. So you can use Luke as your guide to figure out what happened when. John is all over the place. He's the kid that just got back from Disneyland, and he's going to tell you about all the things, and this happened, and that happened, and I this, and I that. And it's totally out of order, but you get the excitement and the passion of it. Mark is the one that he's like, you know what? We're not going to do all this teaching business. I'm just going to tell you what happened. John the Baptist, Jesus, miracle, miracle. Okay, there was some teaching. Miracle, miracle, miracle. Teaching, yeah, miracle. That's Mark. So what we're going to talk about today, we're going to start in Matthew. It might be the same thing that happened in John. And then we're going to go back to Matthew. Okay? So in Matthew 8. Okay, wait, i got to tell you another hack. This doesn't have anything to do with anything. But if you get a new Bible, a cool thing to do, and this is okay, you're not defacing anything or whatever. You get a new Bible, and you open it up to Matthew. And you pull, like, the first four chapters of Matthew and you hold them up on the edge like this. So you get from Matthew 1 
to Matthew 4, all the way to the end of Matthew 4, and you get a Sharpie and you color the edge of the pages, okay? Then every time your Bible's shut, you'll know exactly where the Old Testament and the New Testament are divided, and you'll know exactly where the Sermon on the Mount begins, which is the biggest chunk of all of Jesus' teachings in one spot, because they'll start right at Matthew 5. That has nothing to do with anything, just a way to drive your Bible. Okay, Matthew chapter 8. Jesus has gone back up to the north to Capernaum. He's been there before. It's near where he grew up. And he was there and he turned the water into wine at a wedding. And it says this was his first miracle. And his mom was there. So it could be like probably family, uh, maybe distant family, but either way, family that he was at this wedding. And he had a bunch of his disciples with him at the wedding. So he was, allowed, he was at rabbi status because he was allowed to bring all of them to the wedding when he came. If you were a rabbi, you would not be a, a lone cowboy rabbi. You would have some, some students. And you would be welcomed in a house, you know, kind of like in the olden days. You know, if you're having pastor over, if you're having a priest over for dinner, everybody in the whole house is stressed out and everything's got to be, oh, the pastor's coming for dinner. If the rabbi shows up, he's going to have his students with him. And that's just a, a known given thing. So they go to the wedding. So now he's back in Capernaum. And he comes back and a centurion came forward to him appealing to Jesus. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. So a centurion means this is like a, a, an army, a Roman military guy, and he is over a hundred men. That's where the centurion name. He's over a hundred men. That's a lot. Like, I think the capacity in here is 150. So imagine this whole place, two-thirds full of army men. Okay? Not, not, not us. And he is in charge of all of them. This guy can go anywhere he wants. He can do anything he wants. He has power. And if anybody fights against him, all of Rome is going to back him. So he is, everywhere he goes, he has power. He's the most powerful person in the room, right? And he comes to Jesus, this rabbi with a couple teenagers running along behind him, and he appeals to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus' reaction is not, Get away from me, you filthy Roman piece of garbage. You're a Gentile. Jesus would not be able to eat anything this guy ate. He would not be probably, by some, depending on what this guy has touched today, Jesus probably can't even touch this guy. Because if he's touched a dead body, then he's unclean. If Jesus touches him, then Jesus becomes unclean. Like, there's just all kinds of stuff about this dude. Jesus' reaction, I will come and heal him. Like, what, 
there was no discussion here. The centurion didn't say, Jesus, I give all this money to the synagogue. I fast three times a week. I haven't touched an unclean thing in over 17 and a half years. He just said, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Then the centurion replies, and he calls him for the second time, calls him Lord. Now this could be interpreted as sir, mister. This could just be interpreted as polite, but it could also be interpreted as authority. The thing is, there's only one person this centurion needs to be calling Lord, and that's Caesar. Centurions submit to no one but Caesar. And this centurion is submitting to this rabbi in Capernaum. Not even in the holy city. And he is submitting to him. For the second time he calls him Lord. And he says, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. This guy knows authority. If a a policeman shows up and says, police, freeze, and people don't freeze, they're not respecting the policeman's authority. If the policeman has to get out his gun... He has lost his authority over people as soon as he has to show his authority with a gun. Right? This guy understands authority. Because he doesn't say, I tell my servant to do something and I talk them into it and convince them to do it. Or I threaten them. As soon as he has to threaten, there's no authority. Right? Then he has to prove his authority. This guy understands authority so clearly, he says, Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house, but I know you have so much authority that you can just say something and it will happen. You will do it. Because I know what my authority is, that every single one of these 100 army soldier men will do exactly what I say without question. They will, I have their full obedience, just like, he doesn't say this, but Caesar can order this guy to do whatever, and he's going to do it. So he is recognizing Jesus' absolute authority. And then this awesome thing, he says, I'm not worthy to receive you. I'm not worthy for you to come into my mouth, or into my house. Um, this word is like, I'm not even enough. I'm not even worth the visit. I don't even have enough of power for you to for you to come to my house. And it's not like self-deprecating like I'm a loser and I stink and I'm just horse crud. He's like you are so awesome that I wouldn't even know what to do if you came to my house. Like it it's just I'm not, even, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house and do this. And you don't have to anyway. 
because you have so much authority, you can just say it and it'll happen. I know you don't even have to come to my house to do it. You don't even have to get your feet dirty. So Jewish people in this time, if there was an unclean house, they wouldn't go into the house. They would stand outside. Because, and you know how um, Jesus, when he sends out the 72, when he sends out the 12, he says, if a city doesn't receive you, knock the dust off your feet and leave the city. If you were a good, holy Jewish man, when you would come home at the end of the day, you would stand outside like doormats. Believe it or not, doormats were invented for this. I'm going to clean my feet off because I might have stepped in some Gentile crud dust, nasty, and I don't want to bring it into my house and make my house unholy. And so they would wipe their feet outside. Sometimes they'd take their shoes off or wash their feet as soon as they came in just to keep that uncleanliness out. Jesus is totally ready to come to this guy's house. So that's a whole other thing. Jesus is ready to walk into this Gentile Roman house. And the guy says, I'm not even enough. I'm not even enough for you to come into my house. You know, when um, Jesus fed the 5,000 and the 7,000, it uses the same word. When the disciples say, how is there enough food for all of these people? Well, basically, the centurion says, I'm not, there's not enough of me. There's not even too much of me. I'm, I'm so nothing. Wow. And Jesus is moved. He is moved by this. Jesus, he looks at all of his disciples. It says he marveled. Jesus had awe. Jesus was in, in amazement at this. He says, I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. Can you imagine what the Pharisees, who are priding themselves on what great faith they have and how well they follow Moses, if they heard, none of y'all have faith like this centurion does. Many will come from east and west, recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is saying there's a whole bunch of people that think they're going to be there and they're not. And they're going to get thrown out. And there's a whole bunch of people that don't think they have any right to be there. I don't even have a right for you to come into my house. And they're going to sit down and recline. Okay, you're not just going to sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and eat. We are going to recline. I hope you guys have sometime in your life experienced being at somebody's house, having dinner, and being so relaxed as a guest that you can just like chill and almost take a nap. Can you imagine what they would think when they heard this Roman army guy total traitor to their country, total unclean foreigner, does not deserve to be on Jewish soil at all. And Jesus says he is going to be chilling out so relaxed with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he's going to recline. Like he's going to be in the special chair at the house that only grandma gets to sit in, right? Wow. Then to the centurion, Jesus said, Let it be done to you as you believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. 
Jesus didn't do a whole bunch of stuff. He didn't say, all right, centurion, since you did such a good job, because of all your good works, I'm going to heal him. He just said, wow, you really believe. You really have faith that I have power. Let it be this way. All right, skip over to John 4. There's another event. Some people think it was the same event. Some think it's different. I think it's different. I'm in the different camp, but it's still an awesome event. John 4.46. Jesus was with the Samaritans for three days. He comes up to Galilee, which Capernaum was in the region of Galilee. And it says, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus, please, come heal my son. It was an official. It could have been a Jewish official. It's probably not a Jewish official because the way they describe this guy, he's probably also a Gentile. And, but he's got some sort of standing in the government. Jesus replies to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He detects something about this guy that this isn't just a please come heal my son, but there's some sort of a decision to be made about whether this guy's going to believe in Jesus or not. And whether this guy sees Jesus as the Messiah with healing power or if he doesn't. Or there's other people around that hear that and see that and they're like, I don't know about this Jesus. Let's see what he does here. Is he really the Messiah? Does he really have power to heal? And the guy, Jesus says, unless you see a sign, you won't believe. And the guy's reply to him is, sir. Okay, remember the centurion called him Lord. This guy calls him sir. So it's still respect, but not as much. And it's not as, uh, not recognizing as much power. That Jesus has. It's a little down, downgrade. Come down before my child dies. Interesting. So the centurion was, dude, I know you are so powerful. You don't even have to come. Just say it. This guy is like, dude, will you come on? My kid is sick. And I think it's wild that Jesus doesn't say, all right, Anxious, you need to chill out. I'm not going to get jerked around by your impatience. I'm not, you're not going to boss me around. I'm the Lord. So enough with this sir business. You say Lord, and enough with this come on, hurry up. Jesus doesn't do any of that. Jesus says, go, your son will live. Jesus says himself, I don't have to be there. I don't have to go all the way there. I can heal your son right now, just like this. And I'm going to show you that I can. Jesus does not correct the guy at all for his anxiety. He doesn't correct him all for his demandingness. Do you guys see? We've got two awesome patterns of how we can pray and some evidence of how Jesus responds. We can pray and say, Jesus, you are holy and you are incredible. And I do not even deserve an audience with you. 
I don't even deserve to have any of my prayers heard. But I know, Romans 5, it says, you really want to hear my prayers? Romans 4, it says, you're not going to hold my works against me because you died for them on the cross. So it's not by my own credit that you listen. It's by your grace. And then you've got this other guy who's like, Jesus, come on. What's up? Let's go. Let's go. My kid is hurt. And Jesus answers both of them with grace and mercy. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. Yes, dude, the guy did it. He believed it, and he went. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Again, what if this happened in real life? What does it look like? The dude had to travel far enough that as he's traveling to go home, servants have been sent to meet him along the way. He asks them when it when the kid began to get better, they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The dude's been traveling that long to get home. The other guys have been traveling since then to meet him, and they're still not home. This guy traveled really, really far to find Jesus. And when he said to Jesus, come on, come on, we got to go, he had in his mind... We have a long way to go to get to my son to heal him. So then you start to see why he was so anxious to get moving. Because it's at least a day, right? If he traveled for a day and the other guys traveled for it, he's taking, he traveled at least two days to find Jesus. He wants to take Jesus for at least two days to get to his son. This guy, yeah. He's been away from his sick son for two days, at least. He's found Jesus. It's a two-day travel back. So you start to realize why he is so anxious to get back to his sick son. And you start to see that Jesus was really showing him a lot of mercy. Because maybe Jesus knew exactly where that son was and exactly what it took to heal him. So he asked them the hour when it began to get better. They said, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all of his household. What's awesome is, was Jesus there for the guy to say, I believe in you now? No. Jesus is a day's travel back. The dude can't show his thankfulness to Jesus. He can't give Jesus money to pay him for his kindness. He can't testify to all the people that are around that Jesus did what he did because Jesus is a day's travel away. And Jesus still had mercy on the guy. And it says he believed, his whole household believed. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from, from up to Galilee. I got one more person I want to talk about, Jesus healing. And all of this is just showing us how we can pray. Ways that we can pray. We can say, Lord, I am not humble. I want you to hurry up. But I still recognize you have the power to do it and to help me. 
Or we can say, you know what? I am humble. I am broken. I am, I am not, I do not amount to enough for God to answer any of my prayers. Last two guys. These guys are by the side of the road in Matthew 9. They are both blind. Jesus is traveling along. There's two blind men following him, crying aloud. Have mercy on us, son of David. Okay. It's really hard being blind. There's the understatement of the day. These guys are blind. Anything they do is huge and difficult and hard. They are following after Jesus. There is a crowd of people. They are a part of the crowd, and they are trying to keep up with him. Hard, right? So they just start shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. There's another telling of this story, and the crowd said, Shut up. You guys are obnoxious. Quit yelling. And it makes them yell even louder. Son of David, have mercy on us. He enters the house. We don't know what house, but he goes into this house. The blind men come in, and Jesus says to him, says to them, do you believe I'm able to do this? They said, yes, Lord. They've been following him. We don't know how long. We don't know how far. We know it's hard. They made it into the house somehow. He touches their eyes. He says, according to your faith, it'll be done to you. He didn't check to see if they were Jewish or Gentile. He didn't check to see if their offerings were up to date at the temple. He didn't check to make sure, dude, you guys are blind. You probably touched like 17 dead bodies and 19 unclean things just walking down the street because you can't see to avoid it. You're probably just sinning all over the place because you're mad that you're blind. He didn't ask any of that. It's like, you believe I'm able to do this? They say, yes. Jesus, we've been following you for 25 minutes shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. Their eyes were opened just like that, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away, spread his fame throughout all that district, and were struck blind again because they didn't listen to Jesus. I made that last part up. (laughs) He says, don't tell anybody. They go out and they tell everybody. And Jesus didn't take their sight away from them. Jesus didn't say, oh, oh, too bad. I told you guys. You believe that I had the power to heal you, but you don't, have the belief, you don't believe in me enough to obey me. What does that tell us about our prayers? What does that tell us about the Jesus that we go to? If you ever think, Jesus is doing this to punish me, Jesus, this the hardship that I'm going through right now. Jesus is getting back at me for the bad thing I did. That is a lie from hell. That is the devil telling you that lie. Because here we've got three examples of people that did not do right. Did the centurion quit his job as a centurion and quit ruling over the Jewish people unjustly? No. Wow. Did the dude that was in a big hurry go back to Jesus and be like, I'm going to follow you all of my days and I'm going to give you all my money? No. 
And these two blind guys, how simple would it be? It would actually be easier to not tell anybody than to go to the trouble of telling people. And they did the more difficult thing. A lot of times obeying Jesus is like this. It's easier to not do the sin. And they did the hard thing, and they did exactly what Jesus told them not to do, and Jesus did not take their sight away. It caused all kinds of difficulty for Jesus. It made his life more difficult and his message more difficult to spread. And he still, those guys still were able to see for the rest of their lives. This is the Jesus we follow. This is the Jesus we serve. This is the Jesus that listens to us when we pray and sometimes answers the way we want him to. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you do it, that you listen to us, that you participate in life with us, that you know our pain. Thank you so much that these stories were preserved for so many years, that we can get inspired and that we can see that you are the same today as you were then. And Lord, we are not worthy. We are... We are um, pretty awful and we recognize that and then we also recognize that you did not die on the cross for nothing that you died on the cross and you bought our righteousness and now we can stand right in front of you and talk to you without fear we thank you we exalt you and we praise you lord amen